Jesus asked this question. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Well, just come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. So here's Jesus saying, come on, just jump off that religious treadmill and walk with me. Learn from me. Hook up with me. Let's do this life together and you will learn to live freely. So Jesus says, look, come on, ditch religion. Embrace a real, vibrant relationship with the living God. When you surrender your life to Jesus, you say, you know what, I'm going to crucify the old selfish Mike bro and all those old desires and all those old appetites and all those habits and hurts and hang-ups that used to trip me up. I'm going to give all that to Him and I'm going to surrender to a better wisdom and a deeper love and a, and, a, and a better leader. When you do that kind of stuff, that's when you really start to live. That's what it means to live in a relationship with God, to be aware of His presence in your life every single day. Well, it's great to be with you guys. It's always, it's always a treat to, uh, to be at a friend's church. Tim and I have been, uh, thanks. Tim and I have been friends for a long time. And I uh, finally got a weekend where I could come and share. I've been really excited about this. In fact, Tim, Tim's kids and my kids work together at a church out in Ventura, California called Mission Church. It's about a four-year-old church plant. It's going awesome. So we, we have a lot of stories we share back and forth. In fact, my daughter Jody was here about a month ago and taught uh, from, from this stage. And uh, so I, I'm better known as Jody's dad these days. So I'm Jody's dad and glad to be here at, at, at Parkview. Hey, we're, we're in this series. Uh, rumor has it Tim's coming back next week and going to do this series called Rumor Has It. See what I did there? Um, but we're going to wrap up this series called Risk It today. And um, before we get into that, I, I want to ask you, you guys, you guys like movie buffs like I am? You love movies? Real quickly, I'll give you like 15 seconds. Just like turn to the people around you, your top three movies of all time, right off the top of your head. Top three movies of all time, go. All right, let me give you, let me give you my top five. Now, it's probably not going to be your, these, probably none of these are going to be on your list. But these are on my list. I got to be real honest with you. I had a hard time uh, keeping Dumb and Dumber off this list. I'm just being honest. Just being honest. But number five for me is uh, from the trilogy. Do I even have to mention the name of the movie? And I say the trilogy. Of course, I'm talking about Toy Story one, two, and three. <laughs> Toy Story three is like my favorite, one of my favorite movies. Number four for me is it's on like all the time on cable now on surfing channels. You'll see it. It's a, it's a true story about Scotland winning their freedom. And every time I see Braveheart, I just want to paint my face blue and go pick a fight with somebody. Just fires me up, man. And William Wallace walking in front of his troops. All men die. Only a few ever really live. I'm going to go, oh man, give me a horse and an axe and I'm, you know, just fires me up. Number three for me is a probably, movie that probably didn't make it your list, but I love the movie called The Fugitive, uh, where a guy's accused of killing his wife and he originally killed it on one arm guy. It's a great, great movie. Tommy Lee Jones, Harrison Ford, bus crashes and train wrecks. It's just a cool movie where he dives off a dam. It's just an awesome movie. I love the movie. Number two, I guarantee you did not make your list, but our family, we kind of grew up with some mental illness in our family, which explains a lot about me. 
But my dad was bipolar, and uh, it was just a challenge. He was a great guy, a funny guy. And one of my favorite movies is this movie called What About Bob? You ever seen this movie? It's stupid. It's stupid. Where this really neurotic guy drives his psychiatrist crazy. And there's a great line in this movie where Bill Murray, who's Bob, he's got all these, all these psychiatrists sitting around him and he's cracking them up. And he's got this great line. He says, hey, roses are red, violets are blue. I'm schizophrenic and so am I. I thought, That's just a great line right there. That's a great line. But my favorite movie, uh, it might not be one of your favorites, but it was my favorite movie. Um, I walked out of this movie thinking, man, that, that was... One of the best photographed, great soundtrack, great acting, poignant story. It was funny. It was sad. It was touching. It was moving. And I learned three really profound things watching this movie. The first thing I learned was life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And I learned that stupid is and stupid does. That stupid has nothing to do with your IQ. It has everything to do with your decision-making ability, your discernment, your, your wisdom, your promise-keeping Ability, but the third thing I learned is is like for a speaker dude, like a, a pastor guy. I used to work really, really hard on the conclusion of my talks, but I watched this movie and thought, from now on, when I'm done, I'm just gonna say, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> just be done. So it's freedom, you know, it's awesome. But this movie, Forrest Gump, which won an Oscar, I'm almost 20 years ago now. Um, it's on all the time on cable networks and stuff, but it was just about this simple guy that just tried to keep his promise and treat people in the right way and love everybody that God put in his path. And it was a pretty, pretty cool story, I thought. But there, there's a poignant scene at the end of the movie where, where Forrest is standing at the, at the grave of his wife, Jenny, who made a lot of bad decisions in her life and died at an early age. And he's standing there in front of her tombstone. He asks this question. He says, I don't, I don't know whether it was Mama or Lieutenant Dan that was right. Do we just kind of show up accidental-like and float around accidental-like like a feather on a breeze? Or do we have a destiny? When I heard him ask that question, I thought, man, every person that ever walks on this planet has to come to grips with that question. Do we just kind of show up accidental-like and float around accidental-like like a feather on a breeze? Or is there a purpose for us being on this planet? Because I, I look around, I see all kinds of people that have bought into option number one, and I get it. Because at a very young age, we are taught you came from nothing, and you're going to nothing. So basically, everything in between is kind of... In fact, the one word that sociologists have used to describe our culture for the past 20 years now, it's a big word. Whatever. That's the word. Whatever. So whatever is right for you is right for you. Whatever is wrong for you is wrong for you. Whatever. Whatever is right in your own eyes. It just... Whatever. And I get that, man. If we just show up and float around at all, this kind of a big whatever. But that never really resonated in, in my heart. I always sensed that there was a purpose for me being on this planet. There, there, was a, there was a destiny maker that maybe had some plans for my life. And I started reading the Bible. And some scriptures like this one, like, like Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you have heard the scripture before, but this is God speaking to you. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to prosper you, not to harm you. I got plans for you to give you a future and a hope. I don't know about you guys. That doesn't sound like a whatever kind of existence to me, does it you? It sounds like we got a God, we got a maker, we have a creator to put us on this planet. So I got some great plans to use your life. There's another scripture in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 that says, Long before God ever laid down the foundations of this earth, he had us in mind. 
has settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. It sounds like to me that's not a whatever kind of existence. It sounds like we got a God who's crazy about us, that we are his prized possession, and he wants to do something in this world through, uh, through our lives. Another verse was Philippians 1.6 where it says, I'm confident of this, that God who began the good work inside of you will continue to do his work until it's finally finished on the day that Christ Jesus comes back again. I don't know about you guys, that doesn't sound like a show up accidental like, float around accidental like, like a feather on a breeze kind of life to me. It sounds like we got a God that wants to move inside of us and do some cool stuff on the inside of us and transform us and do things through our lives until the day Jesus comes back. And that's kind of cool. It doesn't say God's going to work in you until, until you die. It says until Jesus comes back so long after you and I are dead and gone, God is still doing stuff in and through our lives to touch the lives of other people. It sounds like we got a destiny. There was one more verse that spoke to me. It's Ephesians 2.10, which says, for we are God's what? Masterpiece. You ever think of yourself like that? That you are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we could do the good things he planned for us long ago. That doesn't sound like a whatever kind of existence to me. Sounds like we got a God who wants to do something with our life because we're his masterpiece. I was 17 years old when I finally started figuring this stuff out. Uh, you talk about a whatever kind of guy. Uh, that's, that was me. And the hard part about it for me was I grew up in church. I don't know, how, how many of you grew up, anybody grew up in church like I did? But you grew up in church, but you really didn't know God. I just went to church. Church was a spoke on the wheel of my life. I went to church, you know, I had like God as a spoke, I had job, I had sports, I had school, I had friends. I didn't realize that God wanted to be the hub of my life, that I could have a relationship with the living God, the one who made me, and everything in my life could revolve around that love relationship. He was just a spoke on the wheel of my life. And as a result, because I went to church, I had one foot in the light and one foot in the darkness, and I could be whoever I needed to be, whoever I was, whoever I was hanging with, you know, and it's, it's hard enough living one life, Right? Living two is virtually impossible. It was so hard to figure out who I lied to when I was over here and who I lied to when I was here and trying to keep my life together. I felt like my life was coming unraveled like a cheap sweater. Um, and I met this girl. Her name was Debbie. And I, when I first saw her, I thought, wow, that girl is so cute. And I got to know her a little bit. And I thought, wow, she might be the first person I ever met that's living with like God at the hub of her life. He's not a spoke on the wheel to this girl, man. She loves God. She loves other people. She's just authentic. She's not living two lives. She's just living one. And I remember saying to God, God, that's what I want in my life. If I could get her too, that'd be like awesome. <laughs> so I, I started pursuing this Debbie girl with everything I had, man. Every chance I had, I would try to I would track her down. I was like a stalker. I just, I just was just, you know, and so obsessed with this girl. Well, our, 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 these guys at our, the church I went to, they, they told me, we're going on this trip, like in the summer, this retreat up in northern Minnesota, we'd like for you to go. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of lame to me. I said, is that Debbie girl going? They said, oh, yeah. I said, sign me up, dude. I'm going. <laughs> the only reason I went was to chase that Debbie girl. And I pursued her all week long. What I didn't realize is that God was pursuing me. He'd been doing that a long time. But I finally got still enough to figure it out. And I can remember, you know how sometimes you get a, like a memory stuck in your head where you can smell the smell and you can see the scene over and over. It doesn't matter how many years has gone by. You, it's just engraved in your memory. I remember this like it was yesterday. Seriously, I was sitting on a bank of a lake in northern Minnesota where I'd never been in my life. 
everybody had gone back to like the cabins. There's a campfire there. And I just put my hands up in the air. I had never done that in my life. The church I went to, like, if you did that, they'd go, you have a question or what? Well, you know, it wasn't something our church did. Uh, but just instinctively, as a broken, exhausted 17-year-old guy, I said, God, I don't want to live like this anymore. I think I'm living beneath my privilege and knowing you. I want to walk with you. I want to do life with you. I want, I want, I want to take both feet and put it in the light. I, just want to, I, want to, I want to surrender my life to your love. I want your forgiveness in my life. And God, wherever you want to take me in my life, I'm signing up tonight. And you might say that was the time in my life where I personally moved from uh, whatever to wherever. And the fact that I'm standing here today talking to you guys is like a miracle. I mean, it's the grace of God. God changes people. And when you say, God, wherever, I just want, I want to live out my God-given destiny. I want to put my life in your hands. God will do stuff with your life that you never imagined you'd get to do. My life has been an absolute wild ride adventure when I finally said, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to walk with you. Hadn't been easy, but man, it's been an amazing adventure. And I look around our culture, I see so many people who are not living with passion. They don't take any risk. There's not this adventure in their life. I see so many bored men, especially. I see a lot of bored guys, and I get it because they just do the same old thing every day. You know what I'm talking about. They get up at the same old time, look at the same old face and the same old mirror, brush the same old teeth with the same old brush, put on the same old clothes, walk down the same old kitchen, get out the same old bowl, pour in the same old cereal, sip the same old coffee, get, kiss the same old wife, get in the same old car, drive the same old job, sit at the same old desk, leave at the same old time, get back in the same old car, sit in the same old traffic, finally pull in the same old driveway, walk in the same old kitchen, hug the same old kids, sit at the same old table, eat the same old dinner, sit in the same old recliner, watch the same old sports center, fall asleep in that same old recliner, get up and go to that same old bed, ask that same old wife that same old question, get the same old answer, roll over again, hit the alarm clock, and get up and do the same old thing over again. That's life for a whole lot of people in our country. Now, I don't know about you guys, I'm not interested in living same old. I want to do something with my life that's going to make a difference. God put me on this planet for a reason, and I want to take some risk, and I want to walk by faith, and I want to be used to touch the lives of other people along the way. I heard a survey they did with 95-year-olds. I don't know how they got them all together, but they did, and they asked them this question. If you had it to do all over again, what would you do differently? They responded in four ways. First response was, what was the question? Then once they got it, they said, we would, if we had it to do all over again, we would risk more. We would see life like it's this adventure. If you're not out on a limb, you're not going to pick the fruit. We would just walk by faith more. We would take more chances with our life. The second thing they said, we'd reflect more. We'd slow down. We'd soak in more memories, more moments, more sunsets. We'd hold more kids on our lap. We would just soak in those memories. We'd reflect more. The third thing they said, they would do something with their life that would live on long after they're dead and gone. And I heard that and thought, I'm not waiting until I'm 95 to say those things. I want to risk it now. I want to reflect now. And I want to do something right now with my life that's going to live on long after I'm dead and gone. I, I, know, I know how some of you guys are, and Tim's probably talked about this before, but I know how some, some of you are because I've, I've been like this too, where, where it comes to a swimming pool, you're a toe dipper, right? You walk up the edge of the pool and you go, whoo, that is cold. Then it's like, 
okay, foot, oh, it's cold, ankles, woo, calves, oh, my goodness, knees, oh, oh, all the way in is like that. Man, that's no way to get in a pool. How do you get in a pool? You take a run and start, right? You take a run and start, you just do a cannonball. You tuck up your knees, you hit the water, and the water goes flying, and the ripples go out and hit the side, and they come back in, they go back out, and they come back in, they go back out, and if you're really big, they come back in, they go back out, and they come back in. If the sides of the pool weren't there, the ripples would just keep going and going and going and going and going long after you made your splash. And I think that's what God calls us to do in this life. So come on, man, risk it. Just touch a life. Just jump in, touch a life. And that life will touch a life. Who will touch a life? Who will touch a life? Who will touch a life? And long after you're dead and gone, lives will still be being touched. You know, I never dreamed I'd get to do what I do. I never dreamed that I'd be a pastor. Most of my friends are shocked. Uh, I never dreamed I'd be a pastor in Las Vegas. We planted a church in Vegas uh, many years ago now. And I know when you hear Vegas church, you're thinking oxymoron, right? But it was, it was an awesome place. God, people found the grace of God. In fact, we never called it Sin City. We called it the City of Grace. Because the Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. And so we just tried to touch people with God's grace. And I don't know whether I, you know, like rippled on a, on a lot of people there, but I do know one guy. His name was Jeff. And uh, we played basketball together. I played all my life, and I'd always get in a pickup game somewhere and just make, make friends. And so I was at the YMCA where, where our, actually our church met in the YMCA. That's where we started. It, it was cool meeting in a, a church plant in the YMCA. We had racquetball courts that we used for kids' classrooms. Can you imagine teaching three-year-olds in a racquetball court? It was like, sit down, 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 down. It was just like echoes everywhere, but it was fun. We had Olympic-sized baptistry. It was awesome. But we, but we started the church here at the YMCA, so I'd go during the week and I'd just play pickup games. I'm in this game and our, our team gets beaten um, I'm, this guy pulls me aside that, I, that was on my team. He goes, hey, can, can I talk to you for a second? I said, sure. He goes, my name is Jeff. And, and he goes, uh, I just want to preface this by telling you, man, I'm a really smart guy. I have, a, I have a degree in physics. I own my own business. I make a ton of money. He goes, um, I was a small college All-American quarterback. I'm one of those guys that people look at and go, man, that guy's got it together. He goes, I don't have it together. So I'm living two different lives. I said, I don't know whether you can relate or not. I said, oh, yeah, man, I used to do that too. He goes, uh, I got a little drinking problem. I got a huge gambling problem. I can't stop. He goes, I'm hiding everything from my wife. I lie all the time about money. He goes, I can't stop. He said, I don't know whether it's that competitive sports thing I got in me, but I just think I can beat it. And I go back in. I said, the other night, I got so crazy. I ran out to my car, and I'm searching through the seat cushions just looking for change so I can keep going. He goes, I thought, this is nuts. He goes, and the reason I want to talk to you because I've been coming to your church that meets on like the other side of the curtain here. He goes, and I've been sitting in the back and we started playing the day. I said, I think that's the pastor guy. And he said, I just wonder if God could help a guy like me. I said, absolutely, dude. He helped a guy like me. So we started meeting. I'll make a long story short. Jeff did what I did when I was 17. He did when he was 35. Just put his hands up in there and said, God, come into my life. Jesus, forgive my sin. I, just want, I, need, I need help. I need to be transformed. I want to walk with you every day. And wherever you want to take me, God, I'm signing up. It was, it was a cool deal. Now, when, when I was, so one night I'm sitting in Vegas. I'm in a family room. My phone rings. I don't know how this lady got my number to this day. She called me up and said, hey, is this Mike Bro? I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, you have a church in Vegas, right? I said, yes, ma'am, we do. She goes, well, my son, he's 21 years old. He's got a drinking problem. He's got a gambling problem. And we think he's headed to Vegas. Could you keep an eye out for him? 
what? 36 million people come to Vegas every year. How are we going to keep an hour for this kid, you know? But if you guys don't know this already, like 36 million is nothing for God. I mean, he knows where you're at. He, he loves you that much. He pursues you relentlessly. An hour later, we get a phone call. She said, he's in Vegas. So the hotel manager found him, passed out in the parking lot, put him up for the night, got his license and called us. Uh, can you guys do something? I said, yes, ma'am, we can. I hung up the phone thinking, what are we going to do? I thought, I'm calling up Jeff. So I call up Jeff. I go, hey, Jeff, I got a guy for you. Jeff goes, oh, cool, man. I said, this guy, he plays football like you used to. He's had a drinking problem, got a gambling problem like, like you used to have, man. He goes, I'm on it. So Jeff goes down this little sleazy hotel behind the strip at 5.30 on a Sunday morning, bangs on the door of this room. Gary is a huge guy. He's like 6'4", six, six, 250, fills the door frame. He's hungover. He's been sick. And, and he... he and Jeff's standing there. He goes, hey, my name is Jeff from Canyon Ridge Church. I know all about you, man. Your parents called. You, you got a drinking problem. You got a gambling problem. I used to have a drinking problem and a gambling problem too, man. Come on and go to church with me and see where God changed my life. And Gary goes, excuse me? He goes, oh, sorry, dude. I'm here so early, but we're like, we, we're a portable church. We have to get there at 530 in the morning. Everything it takes to do church comes off the back of a rider truck, chairs, and all that stuff. And so I'm on the setup team. And man, you're huge. You could help. He says, well, take a shower and come help us. And Gary goes, all right. <laughs> he goes and takes a shower, gets in the car with a complete stranger in Vegas, drives out to Cimarron Memorial High School, where we were now meeting, Gets in the back of a rider truck. He's handing out stacks of chairs to guys he's never met in his life. Ends up sitting in one of those chairs in the worship service. And that day gave his life to Jesus Christ as a 21-year-old broken guy. <laughs> and the cool part of this, when I left Vegas, Gary had rippled on a guy named Darnell. And Darnell rippled on a guy named Chris. And the ripples just keep going. See, it's just one life touches a life. Who touches a life? Who touches a life? Who touches a life? Who touches a life? And long after you're dead and gone, the ripples are still being felt. When I think about ripples, I think about Harold. Harold's my buddy in Kentucky. Harold, he wouldn't mind me telling you this. He's like the biggest redneck I've ever met in my life. He's just an old country guy. And, and I'm from Kentucky, so I talk a little funny, but Harold talks really funny. And you ought to see Harold. I mean, ought, when Harold tells his story, He's just like, he'd stand up and say, my name's Harold. So I used to be this old, filthy, nasty, smelly trash can of a man. And now I'm a clean, bright, shiny trash can of a man. He just, that, that's just him, man. He's so cool. But he told me when I first met him, he goes, Mike, I know you've been out there in Sin City and all that kind of stuff, but you ain't never met anybody that's been in as much darkness as me. And he told me a story. He was right. I've never met anybody been in the stuff that Harold had been involved in. But God got involved in his life, and Harold surrendered his life to Christ when he was 50. And so I had him come up on our stage one, one weekend and sit with his buddies. He had a small group. And I didn't know any of this beforehand. So I'm, I'm talking to Harold, and I said, Harold, tell us how you started your journey with God. He looks down at the end of the stools and says, Stephen down there. I said, really? He goes, yeah, Steve and I, we were fishing buddies. And he told me one day, he said, he said, Harold, your life's all screwed up. You, you need God in your life. He said, I'm going to take you to a church where I found God. And so I came with Stephen and, and God got a hold of me. I said, that is so cool, Harold. I said, Luke, what about you? Luke goes, Harold, 
I go, really? He goes, yeah, Harold and I used to do lines of cocaine together. Now we do lines of scripture together. Ain't that cool? I said, that is cool, Luke. I said, what about you, Tim? He goes, Luke? I mean, just all the way down the line. It was just one guy who touched another guy's life, who touched another guy's life, who touched another guy's life. That's the way it works. It's not that complicated. Jesus says, go love somebody. Walk across a room. Sit down in the stands on a Friday night at a football game. Just make conversation and see what I might do in their life. When I, when I think about ripples, I, I can't help but think about my buddy Keith. Keith has become one of my best friends. We talk all the time. Um, Keith's been on quite a journey of drug and alcohol abuse and stuff. He's 18, well, over 18 months clean and sober and he's doing great. God's transforming this guy. This guy is, I mean, he's unbelievable what God is doing in his life. But it all started, uh, he runs a yogurt business and someone felt impressed to pray for the guy that ran the yogurt shop. And he hasn't always run the yogurt shop. Um, that was just a side business of his. Um, in fact, he told me not long ago, he said, last year is the first time I ever got to go to my kid's school on career day and talk about what I do. And he took frozen yogurt. They all loved him, you know, with all the toppings and stuff. And you'll understand uh, when you hear Keith's story. from God and I squandered wealth and I lived lavishly for many years without thought of God. From an early age I didn't feel accepted, uh, partly because, you know, my mother and my father, when I was born, were incapable at that time in their life to accept the responsibility of a child. My mother had just gotten married for her sixth marriage, and, and the guy she married was uh, was religious or saved or you know, and and, it, and the experience of being whipped with a fiberglass rod and told, and scriptures read as he was, spare the rod, spoil the child. Uh, I had a bad taste in my mouth about scripture right then. The God I knew back then was like a judge, you know, behind, when you went to court, to drop the hammer and said, to hell, you know, and, you know, and I felt that he was a condemning God and that no matter how hard I might try to be a good person. I could never live up to that God, what he wanted from me. I remember my stepfather telling me that for every F and for every U on my report card, I would get five lashes. And I came home with straight U's and straight F's. And I went to school the next day and I was bleeding and cut, and I found this as my opportunity to get out of this house, and I made my way to the principal office, and, and I, uh, they made me strip my clothes and take pictures, called D Department of Children's Services, and, and removed me from the home. When I was 16 years old, I saw my aunt and my uncle, and they told me, your mother had aneurysm, and she's in a coma. I had been estranged from my mother, after leaving the, the family at that last whipping. And it had been a couple years and we hadn't really spoke. <clears throat> I went to the hospital. I remember the nurse telling me, you know, sometimes they can hear what you, 
or saying. And I took this opportunity to grab her hand, and it was just me and her. And this is probably the first, it was the first time in my life that I told my mother, I said, I love you. And she died while I was holding her hand. The pain from what I experienced right then, maybe it was because I finally told her I loved her, or, or it was her death, or feeling once more alone. I covered my emotions and my feelings more, more with alcohol and drugs than ever before. It would be the start of my downward spiral. And I kind of ran with my half-brother. We would go into the projects and rob people for drugs and come out of the project with bullet holes in our car. We would break into houses. To drink and to do drugs, you need money, and we didn't have a job. Our job was using. Our job was drinking. And uh, to be able to afford our addiction, we had to come up with creative ideas of how to, to gain more and use more. When I was 22 years old, I went into a bar looking to sell drugs and, and I saw a man standing at the bar. I remember he pulled a wad of $100 bills out of his pocket and I said, that guy probably needs drugs. And I went over and said, hey, do you want to buy some drugs? And he's like, no, I don't want any drugs. And I go, well, then buy me a drink. And he goes, well, get a job. And I said, well, I'm trying to find a job. And he said, well, I have a store. You can come build some shelves for me in the morning. And gave me the address and bought me a drink and thought he'd never see me again. I didn't know where he told me to come to work was an adult bookstore. Um, and I was waiting there for him when he pulled up to build shelves. I stayed with him for 10 years. I went from building those shelves to shipping to selling to um, eventually leaving him and starting my own company and becoming Southern California's largest adult distributor. There were only two large distributors in the world and there was me on the West Coast and another guy on the East Coast. I would never use the word pornography because it was too harsh of a word for myself. I didn't want to accept the fact that I was in pornography, so I softened it up with words like adult video distributor. I finally came to a point in my life that nothing was working anymore. I couldn't fix on buying things to cover up those feelings that go way back from when my mother died or those feelings of feeling alone or feeling um, like an outsider. I can't say I was running to anything because I was running from my past, not realizing that I was running to nowhere. I was in a hurry to get to nowhere. I didn't know that God was starting to intervene in my life and he had a perfect plan for, for changing my life. God knew what he got when he got you. And as long as you're running to, you're running from. 
And so at this point in my life, I started running to God. I didn't know how I was going to change this big mess that I had. I didn't know how I was going to get out of the business or how I was going to change anything. I just, all I could do was focus on running to God. That was the only thing that seemed to work for me at that moment. And I knew in my heart that I had to make a change. When I finally came to my senses, I had prepared of what I could say to God when I came home. But when returning home, I realized it didn't make a difference what I had to say. He took me just as I was. I ran from God and I squandered wealth and I lived lavishly for many years without thought of God. And he took me back into his arms and accepted me and gave me grace through his son. All because somebody took a risk and kept going in that yogurt shop, making conversation. So let's go get some coffee. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of Keith's life. You, 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 this guy, you talk about a transformed dude. Hey, he's a work in progress. He's raw. But man, they told me at the church, he's, he's a part of Mission Church in Ventura, California. And they told me that on the Connect card where it says, how'd you hear about Mission? They need a box for Keith, the people to check. He invites everybody to, to come, see, come see what he found. And I mean, he's just making ripples like crazy. Can, can, I, can I just tell you one more story? Um, my daughter Jody, who was here about a month ago, standing right here, uh, she might have alluded to the fact that her junior year in high school, she, she was kind of lost, and she started down some roads she shouldn't have gone down. Long story short, God got a hold of her, and when she was 17, like I was, she surrendered her life to God and said, wherever you want to take me. Uh, she said, you know, I don't think I want to go to college right away. I said, I'd like to go spend a year in Haiti. And we'd been to Haiti on short-term mission trips, and she fell in love with the kids. And she said, I want to go back for a year. I want to work as a, uh, at the medical mission there with the orphanage. And I said, really, you want to go to Haiti? She said, yeah, I do. I said, Jody, it's 3,000 miles away from home. It's like voodoo controlled. It's a really crazy place, you know, and lots of drug trafficking going on. You sure you want to go there? She goes, absolutely. One of the hardest things I ever did was put my little girl on an airplane and go, okay, God, it's your kid. And through that, through that year that she was there, we really couldn't communicate with her very well. It was, that was back before you could FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. She would send emails, but the emails had to bounce off of ham radio signals. And so they come all scrambled, and you couldn't hardly make them out and stuff. But one night, we got this crystal clear email from Jody, and it said, Hey, Mom and Dad, tonight's been one of the life-changing nights of my life. I got called out in the middle of the night to deliver a baby. I never delivered a baby in my life, but they saw me with a nurse, and they thought I was a nurse too, so she wasn't around, so they came and got me. And so I'm walking to this hut, and I've got this flashlight, and I walk into this hut, and there's a screaming naked pregnant woman laying on the dirt floor of this hut, and I'm thinking, I'm 17 years old. I'm 3,000 miles away from home in the middle of nowhere with a flashlight and a screaming naked pregnant woman, and I've got to deliver this baby, and I don't have a clue how to do this. She goes, I just started praying, thinking, okay, God, I was with the nurse the other day, and I saw her deliver a baby, help me to remember how to deliver this baby. She goes, to make matters worse, a woman walked in who was dressed in a red and blue garb of what would be a voodoo priestess, uh, kind of a witch doctor type person. 
And she said it was the most evil presence she had felt. And she said this woman started glaring at her and the woman on the floor. And she was walking around them in like a clockwise fashion and chanting something in Creole that she couldn't understand, but the woman was freaking out. She stops at the woman's belly and puts some kind of ointment, starts to chant something, then walks back around in a counterclockwise fashion, gets to, uh, gets to the head of the woman, puts some ointment on her forehead and starts chanting something and started just staring this evil glare at Jody. And Jody said, I'm going, I'm 17 years old. I'm 3,000 miles away from home with a flashlight and some naked screaming pregnant woman on the dirt floor of a hut and some voodoo woman staring a hole through me. She goes, I didn't know what to do. So I just looked back at her, and I knew she couldn't understand English. I just started singing. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. Wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. She goes, the woman just kind of came unglued and ran out of the hut, and I delivered the baby. And that baby I knew was going to be born with the blessing of God, not some silly curse of darkness. And I'm reading this email as her dad as her dad going, what are you doing in a hut with a voodoo woman? You get on a plane tomorrow. We got, we got puppies and ice cream and really cushy beds. You need to come home, girl. But in the next breath, and you can ask my wife, Debbie. I got that Debbie girl, by the way. Yeah. I asked my wife, De- I said to my wife, Debbie, I just said out loud, I said, way to ripple, Jody, way to go, girl, because who knows, that baby that she delivered that night, whose life they're going to touch, and whose life they're going to touch, and whose life they're going to touch, because one courageous 17-year-old girl said, I'm done floating around accidental like like a feather on a breeze. I want to put my life in the hands of the destiny maker, and I want to make a difference with my life. Now, let me, here's the clincher for me. Jody, just fast, fast forward a few years. She moved to Ventura, California because that's where she felt God was saying, I want you to go. And they planted this church that reached this alcohol, drug addicted, porn addicted guy named Keith who was rippling all over people. That's the way it goes. Just a life touches a life who touches a life who touches a life. So you got a choice. I mean, you, you can float around accidental like, like a feather on a breeze if you want to. Or you could put your life in the hands of the destiny maker. And make some ripples with your life. And that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for this life you've given us all. Thank you for your crazy radical love that pursues us like we're the only one here. God, I pray for so many people just living beneath their privilege. They're not, they, don't, they don't know you, and they, they don't know that you are a God of love, and they think of you the way Keith used to think of you as this judge, this, but you're not like that. And I thank you for the way you pursued me personally. I thank you for the people that you put in my life. And God, I, I'm guessing there's a whole lot of stories in this room right now of people who were just touched by somebody's life. A friend just made them a friend. And, and now they know you and they walk with you and they, they feel like they've got purpose and passion in their life. And so, God, I, I pray if there's somebody here today that needs to do what I did when I was 17, Jody when she was 17, and, you know, Keith when he was 45, and Jeff when he was 35, and 21 for Gary, 50 for Harold, just, God, that they would just put their hands in the air and go, God, I just, I give up. I want to walk with you. I want to move from whatever to wherever. And, I want to surrender my life daily to you and just let you lead my life so I can make a difference while I'm here. 
So, Father, I just pray you would move in all of our hearts, that you would encourage us, God, just to, to walk across the room and walk across the cul-de-sac or go out and help a neighbor or just keep going to the same restaurant, the same gas station, just making conversation, just seeing what your, your Holy Spirit might do with that. So thank you, God, for what you're doing in this church, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.